It's so good to be with you guys tonight and to dive into this teaching. We had just the most beautiful last two Wednesday nights with Rez, uh, I guess we called it Rez Taze, something like that two weeks ago where we, um, I don't know if you were here, but if you were, you would have seen that we actually had the fire of the Holy Spirit come down here at the altar as all of our uh, Taze candles uh, sort of went flambe, and one of our heroes is here tonight who helped save the church and all of our lives um, by putting it out promptly uh, during that moment of silence that was supposed to last for 10 minutes. That was a first for me. We've never actually seen the visible flame of the Holy Spirit, um, but there it was. And uh, then last week, Val did this tremendous job teaching on um, the uh, ministry of the Holy Spirit to kick off our series this winter, and uh, we've got several uh, great uh, ideas for this uh, series, um, and tonight we begin with the will, and we're talking about different gifts that God has given us, different capacities that we have in our souls uh, to, that were made by God in order to uh, live orderly lives, but also to interact and engage in the kingdom of God using these gifts that we have uh, to bring about God's purposes in the world. And so uh, we're going to dive into this, but I wanted to start with a story. Um, I love to start with stories that make you laugh, and uh, I have so many great stories coming from being a dad with little kids who do and say ridiculous things. So uh, my daughter, when she was eight years old, sorry, she's eight now, when she was three, Dawn uh, knew that she was a strong-willed child and uh, had a mind of her own, and so it was really important for Dawn, she's sitting right there, my bride, um, to set boundaries for this little girl. So at the age of three, she was very excited about being on a tricycle on the sidewalk, and Dawn said, you can go up and down the sidewalk as far as you want up until that tree, and you can't go farther than that tree. And we were struggling with different styles of discipline, and she didn't respond to many styles of discipline, but she did respond to spanking. Um, and so Dawn said, if you go past that tree, I will have to spank you. Um, Dawn knew that it was important to make the expectations very clear. But Aliana looked up at Dawn and said, Mommy, you might as well spank me now. I have places to go. <laughs> she um, gets a lot of that from her mother. But um, in uh, child raising, uh, for those of us that have children in our lives, whether we're aunties or uncles or moms or dads or spiritually involved in children's lives or teachers, we're always engaging children in their will. And oftentimes, uh, our days go remarkably well when everyone engages their will to obey, and our days do not go very well uh, when our children or the children around us decide, I'm not going to obey. I'm going to do my own thing. Well, the will, um, in, in terms of how we think about the will, uh, I like to think of the will as being like a muscle in the body. And it's a muscle uh, that when we exercise it, it gets stronger. And when we don't exercise it, it gets weaker. And the will is that capacity, that muscle inside of us that governs uh, other parts of the soul. So, for example, the passions 
the appetites, the emotions. These are all capacities of the soul that are governed by the will. The will is our capacity to choose goodness. Um, and we can only grow in goodness if we're exercising our will regularly to choose the good. And there are often, in, throughout the course of a day, many, many choices to be made. Um, some that are for good or for bad, and some that are morally neutral altogether. But we're always exercising our will uh, throughout the day. The will gets stronger the more we exercise it. And it can be, you can think a lot of um, the will like uh, a weightlifting routine, where if you exercise it more frequently, and if you exercise it more consistently, it grows bigger and stronger, and it has greater capacity. So uh, when, the, when the will is not exercised, it, like a muscle, can be weak or it can atrophy. I don't know if you've worked with someone who has had atrophied muscles, but it takes extensive, painful, physical rehabilitation to work an atrophied muscle back into health. Um, the person with the weak will is an impulsive person. He does whatever his impulses tell him. He has no control over what he says or what he does. Um, there is a guy in my life who is a member of my extended family. That's about as specific as I'll get um, because sometimes these teachings are recorded and put online and then I get in trouble. But there's a member of my extended family who struggles severely with impulse control and uh, he has very little self-control, if any at all. And he says whatever pops into his mind. The thought pops into his mind, it comes right out his mouth. And it gets him into trouble over and over and over again. He's struggled to hold down certain jobs because most jobs uh, require that you keep a tight rein on your mouth. So the last two times that this individual has come to visit me here in Chicago while I was a student at Wheaton College, surrounded by these wonderful conservative Christians who uh, did not have a whole lot of... Uh, 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 cultural things going on in their lives were very uh, innocent in terms of the way that they conducted their lifestyles. As my uh, family member would visit me, any time we were around other people, he would always say things that would offend everyone around him. And so I had this awkward challenge of trying to introduce or do something with my family member in the presence of my friends. And the last two times he's visited me, he has offended people so badly that during both visits, a female friend of mine has slapped him in the face. <laughs> and I'm left there trying to explain to my family member why he might have deserved it and trying to apologize to my friend that, um, you know, he didn't mean what he said. Um, he just says whatever with no editing. And so the will is that capacity to edit what is going to come out of your mouth. Um, when the thought pops into our mind uh, that might be inappropriate, it might be insensitive, or just plain unhelpful, the will catches it before it makes it out of the mouth. Um, and so we all know sometimes it's hard to get the horses back in the barn after it's been released. So if our will is strong, it governs well. It governs our soul and it helps us to choose to do what is right, even when we don't feel like it at all. Um, if our will is weak, it takes the easiest route. 
and we do what we want. It's, we just live by I want, I want, I want um, by those impulses instead of doing what's right in any given situation. So let's think for a moment about how this understanding of the will might apply to children. Charlotte Mason explains it this way. The baby screams himself into fits for a forbidden plaything, and the mother says, he has such a strong will. The little fellow of three stands screaming in the street and will not move out of harm's way because he has such a strong will. He will rule the toys in the playroom, will monopolize his sister's playthings, all because of this strong will. Now we come to a divergence of opinion, she says. On the one hand, the parents decide that whatever the consequence, the child's will is not to be broken. So all his desires must go unchecked. On the other, the decision is that the child's will must be broken at all hazards, and the poor little being is subjected to a dreary round of punishment and repression. But all the time, nobody perceives that it's the mere lack of will that is the matter with the child. Charlotte Mason goes on to say, when I learned this principle, it changed the way I looked at my child. I had been thinking that my child had a strong will, and it was my job to dig in my heels and butt heads with her to show that my will was stronger than her will. I was my child's opponent in the battle of the wills. But once I understood this, I suddenly realized that she did not have a strong will, one that had enough power to choose what was right even when she wanted what was wrong. She had a weak will that, cons that constantly chose the path, the easy path of I want. It was my job as a parent to help her strengthen her will to be able to choose what was right even when she didn't want it. I was not her opponent. I needed to be her coach. So how do we help our children? And indeed, how do we help ourselves? to exercise the will, our wills, to choose what is right in face of so many impulses. Now, I'm experiencing this a lot right now as a dad of an 18-month-old. My son, Stephen, he will often grab onto something that he can't have and indeed shouldn't have, like a steak knife. He's particularly fond of steak knives. And I'll tell him no, and he'll clutch it tighter to his chest. No, you can't have that. <clears throat> And so then I know uh, that I've got to get this knife away from him. And uh, he knows I'm going to take it away from him. So we're right there in the middle of it. And I have two options for dealing with this situation. One, to overpower him. I can grab his hands and grab the knife and use my strength and pull the knife out of his hands and overpower his will with my will. But he's clutching a knife, a steak knife, and that's dangerous. Or I can speak softly to him. I can put a smile on my face, make him think he's so cute, because he is, and then speak softly and tell him, hey, buddy, can you give me the knife? And I can hold onto his hands to make sure he doesn't do anything with it. You want to give me the knife, buddy? And he responds to me and smiles. And he's like, yeah, here's the knife. He's happy to give me the knife. And so there I just safely remove the knife from his hand and tell him what a great boy he is because I've given him an opportunity to engage his will and to give the knife over without having to overpower him. 
But that doesn't work all the time. Um, many times as parents or as teachers or babysitters, we are in the midst of a situation where a child is doing something dangerous and there's no amount of sweet talking or candy bribery that is going to get this kid to engage their will and obey. Uh, they're standing in the street. They won't get out of the street. They're throwing a temper tantrum in the street. You just have to go over, pick them up, use your muscles and carry them out of harm's way while they flail and scream and, and go nuts. Now, that's harder to do as the children get older. So it's very difficult to walk into the street and to lift up a 250-pound, 17-year-old teenage boy and remove him out of harm's way. Um, but at the end of the day, there are uh, people that will help us physically uh, keep others safe. So that's ultimately what police are for. When people cannot exercise their will, to keep others safe. They are harming others. That's when we call the police. That's when they're incarcerated because they cannot control their impulses. Um, and these adults who won't exercise their will to choose good are then kept safe from others um, because they can't uh, engage their will. They allow their impulses to control them. And those impulses are, are impulses, emotions like anger or passion like lust or greed and they just can't stop themselves from doing the dangerous things um, and they have to have control put around them. They have to be stopped for the safety of others around them and for society. Well, as parents and aunties and uncles and spiritual parents, we want all the children around us to learn how to exercise their wills for goodness. I mean, that's the whole part of participating in a community like a church where we are part of the family of faith and we want to help all these children grow in exercising their will to obey and to grow in goodness. Ultimately, as we train them in whatever environment we're interacting with them to listen to our voice and to obey our instruction, ultimately we're, we're training them, we're preparing them as they grow older and become adults to listen to the voice of the Lord and to obey Him. And so, uh, uh, for example, with my four children, it still surprises me how uh, often one of my children will ask for something that's absolutely ridiculous to have. And so I'm comparing this to us as grown-ups. How often do we ask for things from the Lord that are absolutely ridiculous for us to have? But we don't know that. And certainly my children, when they ask, they don't know how ridiculous their request is. So um, one example is Justin, my three-year-old, at bedtime, as he's being tucked in, as the lights are being turned out, um, he will cry out suddenly, I want to go to Chick-fil-A! And I'll have to explain and respond with, maybe tomorrow, buddy, or how about Saturday, uh, but we can't go right now. And he'll say, no, I want to go to Chick-fil-A right now! And it doesn't matter how well I explain it, doesn't matter how I rationalize the fact that maybe Chick-fil-A is closed for the night or perhaps it's Sunday and Chick-fil-A is operated by Christians that won't work on the Sabbath. It doesn't matter what I say. He insists that he must go to Chick-fil-A and he will scream and wail and cry. And he'll wail, poor little Justin, he'll wail till he falls asleep because he wants Chick-fil-A. So he doesn't understand as a little three-year-old, that I cannot 
a bend a time and a space to get him to Chick-fil-A. That's a hero's reference, in case you didn't realize. So he doesn't understand that I can't get us there, that I can't change the time and make it open again or whatever. He just doesn't understand. And we, as adults, often don't understand what God is doing in our lives. We just don't understand the circumstances. We don't understand why the prayers we're praying aren't being answered or why the suffering or the difficulty in our lives continues to go on. We don't understand. We help children obey us when they don't understand. We help them. We're patient with them. We're gracious. We're kind. We try to explain. We try not to go nuts on them as often as we want to go nuts on our kids because they drive us crazy. We, are, we try really hard to teach them to obey when they don't understand why. And that helps them as they grow up to obey God when they don't understand. Now, some of us, we had really good help like that from Sunday school teachers, pastors, parents, aunties, uncles, grandparents. But some of us didn't. We didn't have help learning how to exercise our will to obey when we didn't understand. And we struggle today. So let's look at what the will helps us rightly order in our own souls. Our will governs our passions and appetites. So let me list off some of those um, to give you an example of all the impulses that are always working in our souls on any given day. Uh, passions and appetites include things like physical cravings for food. So fasting is to exercise your will to do something your body does not want to do. Your body wants to uh, take in food because we're made uh, to live on food. Uh, physical cravings for drink. Physical cravings for sleep. Physical cravings for touch. Exercise. Uh, physical cravings for substances like caffeine or alcohol, nicotine, sugar, etc. There are emotional needs that we all have um, and that are expressed, like anger is a response to injustice. We all have a need to uh, have an angry response when we see injustice and suffering in the world. Grief, emotional needs like love or joy. Uh, when we're anxious, we have a need for peace and wellness, well-being. There are sensual cravings like sexuality, sexual connection with another. There are intellectual cravings for knowledge and input and understanding. Um, there's also visual and auditory desires that we all have for beauty. I mean, if you work in or live in an environment that is very unattractive, uh, imagine the cubicle with no windows, no natural light, everything is gray. I don't know if you've ever been in a military building, which I've spent a lot of time in as a child uh, military brat. They're all ugly. All military buildings are very ugly. And to be surrounded by a lack of beauty, we, we crave beauty. Um, uh, that's why we're inspired so much by movies and music. So we have the auditory desire for music and inspiration. We all crave uh, vision, uh, not just vision for a situation, but vision for our lives, vision for the church. Um, and then there's also this thing that I've seen a lot of young 20-somethings have, uh, wanderlust, this yearning for adventure and travel. Right? We have to just name these appetites and passions that we have. They're not bad, uh, many of them. 
One professor that I had back in college described the will as it relates to these passions and appetites as um, that part of you that can force yourself to stop shivering in the cold. That helped me kind of put uh, a memory experience together with the will. So let's just do a quick exercise right now for you to engage your will. And in this exercise, you need to know that you have the option not to participate. It's a very simple exercise that you do every Sunday. I'm going to ask you to stand up and to turn to someone to greet and shake their hand. Right? It's like passing the peace. And then introduce yourself and then have a seat. Go ahead. Awesome. Go ahead and have a seat. Now some of you, just a quick analysis, some of you quickly moved to obey. Jumped right up, I'm ready to do this. I will do what the guy says. But some of you hesitated. Ah, oh, this is so awkward. Um, I, I, if I were in your shoes, let's be honest, I would hesitate. Do you know how many megachurches I've gone to where the pastor up front says, turn to your neighbor and say this phrase? And everybody in the room turns to their neighbor and says the phrase, and I'm like, ah, oh, I am so not going to do that. And the person next to me turns and says the phrase, and I'm just like, looking straight ahead. I'm not a robot. I don't say things that are inauthentic. Um, that's kind of how I am. So you all had a decision to make, and you made a decision. And some of you decided, I'm going to shake someone's hand. Some of you decided, I'm not going to shake someone's hand um, for various reasons. Some of you made your decision based on the fact that others around you were doing it. You made your decision not because you were asked to do it. You made your decision because everybody else in the room is. But some of you are contrarian. Uh, you think in terms of, if everybody in the room is going to do it, I'm not going to do it. That is the way I'm wired. Right? That's how we uh, make decisions. That's part of our personalities. And so um, uh, when I've... Uh, had that experience in mega churches, I'm very contrarian in personality because I just hate it. Um, the inauthentic uh, parroting a phrase like a robot. But the point is, in that moment, you engaged your will. Right? Your will was immediately engaged and you made a decision and it was a, a non-moral decision. It was a decision that had no morality as a part of it and it was morally neutral and we make morally neutral decisions every single day in fact we make it probably a million times a day examples are what am i going to wear today what am i going to where am i going to eat lunch today um, we're always bombarded with morally neutral decisions but we also make dozens of moral decisions every day as well um, decisions that cause us to grow in goodness or perhaps to shrink in goodness and virtue uh, we make decisions to serve or to self-indulge. Um, these are the kinds of decisions we make. And we have multiple opportunities every day to make them and to do something hard but good or to do something easy that feels good. Those are the choices that we make. So for me, uh, last Saturday night, I had a choice to stay on the couch or to get up and wash the dishes for dawn. And uh, I've learned that anytime I'm facing that kind of a decision, I know which one is the right decision, and I have been well-trained by my wife at this point 
uh, there are consequences in my house for not helping. And I am really good at washing dishes. And I get rewarded for washing dishes. Um, and I grow in goodness and virtue, um, as my wife will tell you after 11 and a half years of marriage. So, um, but a person who exercises their will for goodness gets better and more frequent at choosing goodness. It was really hard early on in my marriage to make the choice to do the chores. It was really hard. But now it's fairly easy. Um, over the years, because I've learned that her love language is service, not anything else, um, Christmas gifts were things like, here's a gift certificate for husband mopping for a year. You know, and Dawn's like, this is the best gift ever! And I'm like, oh, okay, I gotta do this. Um, but I'm so glad when the year's up, let me tell you. <laughs> no more mopping. So the person who exercises their will over and over and over again to make those kinds of decisions, they have a strong will, a strong, obedient will. And they can grow in virtue faster as they exercise their will. It becomes easier. They hesitate less and they move right into the, the good and right thing. Um, the person who exercises their will to disobey regularly will become naturally inclined to disobey all the time. So, uh, for example, you can imagine the rebellious teenager. It doesn't really matter what you tell them to do. They will always exercise their will to disobey, not to obey. They have a strong will too, but it's a rebellious will. So let's talk about the differences. Um, we're going to talk about strong wills and weak wills. And in the strong will category, we've got two types, the strong obedient will and the strong rebellious will, also called the willful will. So let's talk about the rebellious will. The rebellious person is one who has exercised their will repeatedly to disobey, to reject authority, and to go one's own way. They become very independent. Americans love uh, to go their own way and to be independent. So we see this a lot in our culture and a lot in our churches, uh, particularly um, in the evangelical church where there's a de-emphasis on authority. Uh, you often find that people in the, in the church don't know how to respond when a pastor says, this thing that you're doing is really hurting your soul and it's hurting your relationship with this other person. You need to stop. And they're like, uh... I make my own decisions, and I'll take that one to prayer, and I'll make up my own mind. And that's the independent Christian thinker. Um, America has put such a high value on that that it's really merged with our Christian practice. I'm an independent Christian. I make decisions on my own what I believe. This person's will has become strong in their particular routines, and oftentimes that routine is a routine of disobedience a routine of self-indulgence that is not growing any goodness in their lives. The, the Bible describes these individuals as stiff-necked, hardened of heart, rebellious. He uses this phrase, uncircumcised heart, which is strange and unusual, but it probably was understood by the Jewish community. The uncircumcised ears uh, this person is described as arrogant, refusing to listen, disobedient to God in Scripture. So how do we pray for people who are struggling with a rebellious will? Well, number one, we ask them to repent and to lay their will down. Um, there are a lot of people who have a rebellious will, but they don't like it. 
and they want to change, but they don't know how to change. So we ask them to uh, do the confession and repent to the Lord of the rebellious will and to lay their will down and to say things in the prayer like, Lord, I submit my will to your will. We ask them then to obey something that God is asking them to do that would be slightly challenging. Not super challenging, just slightly difficult. And to exercise their will in a small thing that would be a a challenge for them that would help them grow in obedience. Sometimes we'll ask them, what's one thing you're disobedient in right now that you could then change, make a decision to do something different to help you grow? That's how we pray for people with a rebellious will. Those with a strong, obedient will, I'm, I'm, the, the definition is, is self-explanatory. We simply pray uh, for prayers of blessing, prayers of strengthening of their will, because uh, circumstances get tougher and tougher. And we have to grow, even in, in uh, obedience, that when really difficult situations come upon us, we'll still be obedient in the face of great trial or great suffering. Um, Exercising the will to obey over and over and over again can be exhausting, and people need prayers for strengthening. Now, the second kind of will, the weak or the passive will. The weak will is where one has grown passive or slothful in obedience. Their will can be accompanied by a struggle with depression. Oftentimes, depressed people um, have weak wills, passive wills. They just don't have the energy to exercise their will. There can be in the church... Um, those that are depressed or struggle with a weak will, there can be uh, a history of hurt by the church. Church leaders have hurt them, or church people have simply hurt them. And that can be a part of a passive or slothful will. Sometimes the person may blame God for some loss in their life. Um, And that would make it very difficult to obey God if God is the source of your suffering in your imagination. It's also possible that a specific emotion or passion or appetite has been repeatedly indulged in and that passion or appetite, that impulse, is just simply stronger than the will. So an example would be like nursing a grudge. Uh, You find people who just nurse grudges, they don't let things go, they don't extend forgiveness, and uh, that's like the one area where they simply cannot exercise their will and say, I'm just going to let this one go. I'm going to let that comment slide off my back and not like rise to my own defense and really take the person to task. I'm just going to let the comment go. Another example can be like eating unhealthy food. Um, This is really common in our culture. We love unhealthy food, and we can be really obedient in many, many matters and struggle in one matter, Um, uh, some bad habit that we have. So how do we pray for the person with a weak will? We ask them to repent of sloth. This is a a word coming out of uh, church history that's really helpful. Um, Also uh, connected to the animal, the sloth, right? It's a a root term is acedia. Acedia or slothfulness is a sin that can be confessed and repented of. Um, And to confess also any sins that have been done against you that have hurt you um, or made you angry and unwilling to to really exercise your will. So then we pray for God to strengthen their will and to wrap his will. Um, We like this imagery of God wrapping his will around our will and being like a, um, 
what is it when you break a bone and you put to uh, a splint, like a splint. God would use his will to be like a splint on our will, holding our will uh, together and making it so that our will can grow, uh, become strong, and heal. Um, and then, uh, likewise, with the uh, uh, disobedient or rebellious will, we ask them, what is it that God could ask you that you could obey that would be a challenge? Um, is there a way that you can obey the Lord um, in a difficult thing that will help you grow in your obedience and in exercising your will? Now, the second kind of weak or passive will is the one that needs the most amount of healing. This is the broken will, where the will has actually been damaged um, and uh, hurt. Uh, there are a couple of analogies, but we think of certain kinds of sins or um, woundedness that can actually destroy, crush, or break the will. Um, and uh, one person who taught on the will used the analogy of if the will is like a muscle, then these particular sins have like uh, ripped uh, chunks of muscle tissue out of the muscle. Um, so it's not as if the muscle is weak and it's just a matter of just try harder. It's a matter of um, you can't exercise your will because it's, it's broken so badly it doesn't work. Um, and there's a need for God to come in and do a miracle of healing on this broken or crushed will. So here are the four kinds of sins that might uh, do this kind of damage, like tearing chunks of tissue out of the muscle so it won't function. Number one is pornography addiction. We see this over and over and over again. There are really wonderful, obedient individuals who, if they have a pornography addiction, no matter what they do, they can't seem to overcome this problem. And so the visual onslaught and damage that's done to an individual's imagination and heart can destroy the will so that it, it really struggles with this addiction. Um, there's a great book out, um, uh, Wired for Intimacy, How Pornography Hijacks the Brain. Um, and it's a book I highly recommend if you haven't read it, but it talks about how pornography really robs an individual from their ability to exercise their will for goodness, and they need lots of support to be able to grow and receive healing and to move into a place of obedience in their lives. The second sin is sexual abuse. Um, I, I kind of lock this together with uh, a boundary violation, which is the third. Um, any kind of uh, violation or crossing of a boundary that is physical for a person. Um, so physical abuse can do this, sexual abuse certainly, um, where the boundaries of the individual are uh, completely uh, broken down and uh, other examples of this could be emotional manipulation um, verbal abuse can do this as well where a child uh, sense of identity is completely eroded um, uh, another example would be uh, growing up uh, being exposed to adult sexuality too early um, as a child uh, these kinds of traumas or wounds can do a significant enough damage uh, to the will that one needs uh, healing rather than just try harder. Or if, if you're not obeying, it, you must not really want to. These are things I've heard people say to those that struggle with this, and they don't 
need to try harder. They need healing. They need an act of God to, for him to stretch forth his hand and to move in power in our lives. So uh, the fourth is uh, substance addiction, um, a kind of physiological dependency um, on uh, a substance that uh, is really, really hard to overcome. So you see the need for 12-step programs that provide a lot of structure around a person who is trying to receive healing and come out of this. Um, we feel like uh, for those that are unable to uh, find any success in a 12-step program, um, also need, with the 12-step program, prayers for healing and um, the ministry of the Holy Spirit uh, in their lives. Uh, at this point, I wanted to ask Steve if he might uh, come on up and answer two questions for us. Um, Steve is just a, a wonderful man who is one of our leaders, and uh, we may have to have you come to the pulpit. Okay. Is that okay? Steve has uh, overcome a lot in his life with the help of the Lord, and uh, I've asked Steve to come and, and share with us. Um, Steve, in, in your years of following the Lord and pursuing healing, what was it like for you to overcome uh, your particular struggle uh, uh, and share with us a little bit about what that struggle was for you? Um, for me, uh, I've struggled for decades with uh, various issues related to sexual purity. Um, it's kind of, I'd almost describe it as a bundle of thoughts and habits um, that I've struggled with since childhood and um, I have to say that for, for many many years while there was a recognition as a Christian that uh, the Lord did not want this for me I did not want this for myself there was a sense of, of I can't um, I ought to obey but I can't and um, uh, literally decades ago there were people who surrounded me um, some of those which were right here in this uh, what this uh, Wednesday evening service has developed into um, there were prayer ministers there that prayed for me for um, the uh, strengthening of my will mm -hmm. because my will in this area was not only um, weak, but I think you described it very well, after years of engaging in particular thoughts and behaviors, my will was further damaged and destroyed. Um, and so they, they prayed for the strengthening and um, the nurturing by the Holy Spirit of my will in this area. And I have to say that for many years there was a um, while I, I, I heard those prayers and I carried them deeply within me, they weren't activated, I don't think, until I made certain um, key decisions. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I guess I can say that one of those key decisions for me was, um, it was in part a recognition that um, if I was going to wait for the Lord to change my feelings, in, in this area, to change my thoughts and my feelings surrounding 
my sexual thoughts and my sexual behaviors, I'd be waiting a long time. Mm -hmm. So there was a decision on my part that, okay, the feelings can do whatever they're going to do, but I'm going to decide mm -hmm. to focus on the Lord and, and, yeah. and, and obey Him as best as I can. That's really great, Steve. In light of the prayers of the church and the decision you made, how did you experience God as you worked through your struggle? I have to say, um, quite actually, this is the one area as I've wrestled with and continue to wrestle with um, my, my will in this area before the Lord. It's probably where I've sensed the Lord meet me most intimately. Um, there's probably no other area of my walk with Him where I've begun to have the sense over time that um, instead of the Lord kind of looking down on my behaviors, um, wanting to reprimand me. It's where I've really experienced his love and compassion in some real ways as I've taken some steps in obedience. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's changed from a ought to obey, but I can't, to I want to obey. Lord, help me to do that. Yeah. That's really well described. Thanks so much, Steve. Um, we want to pray for you, and uh, here's how we're going to pray. Steve, stay up here and, and, and join Val and I as we, as we uh, pray for you all. We want to ask you if you desire to receive a prayer for the strengthening of your will. Um, we're just going to ask you to exercise your will by standing, and we will pray for you. And feel free to stay seated if you'd like, but I don't know who... Uh, uh, can't benefit from a prayer for the strengthening of your will to obey the Lord and to grow in goodness. So we're going to pray for healing for those uh, who have experienced some kind of trauma or brokenness that has made it very difficult to obey. And we'll pray for um, a strengthening of those who have a weak will and, uh, and, and ask God to challenge you to obey him in, in, uh, in certain areas of your life. So let's pray together. And if you're a prayer minister, please feel free to stand around the room and stretch forth your hands as we pray all together um, uh, for these folks.